Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have a returning guest, one of my most popular guests, Ken Ami, who's just published another book. Uh, the title of this book is Hollywood Aliens and UFOs, first showing the days, plural, the days the Earth stood still. And uh, it covers the day the Earth stood still, the film, both versions, also a comic book and uh, a short story. So we're going to talk about that. Also joining me is Chris Taylor from Don't Let Them Burn. And again, Zach from Indie Rock Dinosaur. So welcome to everybody, Ken. Thanks for joining us. And for uh, us. I usually do the preliminary for people for who don't us. know your name, but I don't know if that I'm sure by now if they listen to my shows, <laughs> they know your website, truefreethinker.com. <laughs> and Chris is don't let them burn.com. And Zach's, I forgot, yours is uh, YouTube Indie Rock Dinosaur. So anyway, yeah, Ken. Yeah, kind of on a standstill right now, but there's still okay. 15 episodes that. All right, cool. So, uh, Ken, talk about what led you to uh, write this next book, number 45? I I don't know. I haven't counted in a while. <laughs> but I'll tell you the truth. Uh, this past week I was editing three books, so I have a couple more coming out pretty soon here. <laughs> nice. Well, what uh, – I mean, it's a fascinating book. It's really the classic, if not one of the most important science fiction films ever made. Still fascinating to watch. Uh in fact, you'll note the quotation that I use in the front front matter there is that uh, the director, Scott Derrickson, said it's the, a sacred text for science fiction buffs. And what makes it, what in his mind do you think makes it so sa- or sacred, which may not be the correct? Well, so uh, as, far as, a, a, uh, as far as a project, um, I, I mean, I've written the book Transhuman Hollywood, and then reviewed uh, various other movies. So I figured I would do a singular book on movies with alien and UFO themes. So um, this one, yeah, there it is. It's just a really quick read right there. Just no big deal, right? No, um, I'm kidding about that. Because what happened is I was writing the book of movie reviews, and when I got to page 500, I thought, I better turn this into a series because – much less when I got to page 600. So I'm breaking it up into a, into a series that are, I don't know, roughly shooting for about 150 pages. So they'll be frugal and they'll be a quick read. So this was the, the first one. And it was great because I was like, uh, like you said, I was able to combine a review of the 1940 Hiram Gilmore Bates, the third story, Farewell to the Master, and the 1973 Stanley comic based on that, and the 1951 movie, The Day the Earth Stood Still, and the 2008 movie, The Day the Earth Stood Still. So that made up the whole book right there. And I think that's part of what is uh, fascinating about it. In terms of a movie, it's early. It's so early that it's black and white. And it also has some features that differentiate it from the original story. And then since we had a relatively recent follow-up, then we're able to kind of um, see how the story has, um, I know a lot of people would use the term evolved, but it's more like had been uh, redesigned, <laughs> as it were. So, yeah, it's um, um, it's kind of a multi-layered story. There's kind of a lot of little things that you can catch in it. And even if you just watch it as is without really thinking much about it, it's really interesting because you have an interaction of an alien that comes to Earth, but also along with his uh, robot, 
So that 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 character is a whole different world, right? When you're dealing with an alien that's humanoid, looks just like a person, speaks our language, no big deal. But then you have a uh, Gort, this a robot that does not speak. <laughs> it does not interact on its own. It uh, kind of follows orders, and it can blast your rear end if it needs to. So it's uh, it's a whole other type of thing, right? Dealing with this artificial intelligence, and that that too is a very early version of an artificially intelligent robot. So that that that's so many themes wrapped up in the in the first movie. And how how much was the first movie inspired by the short story? Well, there is okay. So the the, the one thing is in the in the original movie, a flying saucer actually descends to Earth. Okay, now in the newer version of the movie, it's not a flying saucer. It's a, a sphere. It's it's not a craft we would recognize as a craft, but it's a sphere with undulating lights in it. And that's actually based on the first, on the original story in the comic book, where it doesn't um, dis- descend to Earth. In the original story, the sphere just, boof, appears. It's just suddenly there. That's it. Mm. And so that, that's an interesting um, difference that was picked up in the most recent movie, um, getting that from the original story. So that led to speculation about, well, was this an alien coming from another planet or was it time travel? What was it? It was It's so different that we would think of it in terms of like a dimensional thing rather than a planetary thing. But the the, the main point of the original story and sorry, if you haven't read it since 1940, um, I'm going to spoil it for you. <laughs> You've had <laughs> over half a century. So it's called Farewell to the Master because what happens in actually every version is that the uh, the alien, Klaatu, he ends up getting shot. Okay? So it, what's interesting, incidentally, as a side note, in the original story and the comic book, it's some religious fanatic that shoots him. In fact, I can um, read you some quotes about that um, while we uh, go along. That, but, that reminds me, wasn't there, was it contact where the fanatic shoots uh, or blows up the interstellar space? That reminds me of that. They also included right, right. kind of a religious fanatic. Yeah, I mean, you, you can't have... Um, any Hollywood movie showing a religious person being rational, you know, (laughs) (laughs) they have to be uh, insane or whatever. Yeah, of course. That's uh, yeah. Unbelievable. So there were, there um, were also, there are also some similarities to the, um, the alien to Jesus Christ. Um, Okay, yeah, let's let's and... get to that though, if you don't mind. Let's work our way to that. Okay, all right. All right. One so, thing I'd like you to touch on, Ken, is also the writer in the background what led up to the first movie version as well. At some point integrate that. Okay, so in the original story, he gets shot because quote, he was the devil. Don't you understand? God told me to kill him. God told me. Yeah. <laughs> so this person is, um, uh, that was the comic, actually. The 
in the uh, story, it was uh, quote unquote mentally unbalanced. He kept crying that the devil had come to kill everyone on earth. So either way, uh, there's somebody recognizing that this is a, a demonic or a devilish uh, entity and going after him. So anyhow, what happens in the original story is that Klaatu is actually shot dead. He dies. And then what happens at the very end is that they're really afraid of what Gort is going to do, the uh, robot, <laughs> because he he's uh, incredibly powerful and now his master is dead. So is he going to take revenge? What's going to happen? Nobody knows. And what ends up happening is that the robot, when they're trying to plead with him, okay, it was just an accident. We didn't mean to blow his brains out. Sorry. It was just some nut. Uh, the robot ends up explaining that you don't really understand what's going on here. He's not my master. I'm the master. <laughs> so what was going on there is that the the leader, the master of this story was the robot. Well, Klaatu was, we're not really exactly sure what he was, but we know, for instance, when he gets shot to death, uh, Gort is able to do like a high-tech resurrection and brings him back. But see uh, the iteration of the uh, Klaatu, if it was the original Klaatu anyway, uh, only lasts a short time, so he dies again. And so you have basically the robot with the ability to bring dead things back to life, which he does Based on, I mean, this was 1940, okay? So basically, the way we would describe it is that uh, the robot would get recordings, video or audio, and based on the algorithm, he was able to compose a new body. And so he was doing this with animals as well, because part of the story here is that uh, what the aliens came to do is to build a styled high-tech Noah's Ark. Because uh, if the Earth was going to be destroyed, which is the whole danger of the story, is they wanted to save the animals. So this is what he's doing. He's trying to. But see, uh, what happens is with the er- with the glitches and errors and unperfect scheme of recordings, then uh, he couldn't build the perfect being, so they wouldn't last very long. So that's what he's working on. But so that was the big to do. Uh, whereas the movie, the mo- neither of the movies follow that track. In, in both of the movies, Klaatu is definitely the man in charge, the alien in charge, and Gort is his, uh, you know, basically his servant. Gotcha. And, uh, <clears throat> I mean, there was some kind of background before the, the, the first film was 1951, right? So yes. it did, it was post-war, and they were trying to convey a message. Would you agree with that, like a specific kind of post-war message? It, it was yes, it was post-war, but it was also um, that the people involved in in it in the background of how the movie came about uh, was kind of like uh, governments, especially CIA machinations, to put forth a certain uh, plot, you know. And so it was people involved in um, CIA propaganda and all that 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 were involved. <clears throat> But like, I mean, they're talking like when Klaatu shows up, it's can we go talk to the United States have a message to the whole world? So there's definitely a globalistic theme. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Because, I mean, I think any of us who have been around this kind of stuff know um, the more readily available example is Ronald Reagan talking about how I wonder if we need uh, 
alien menace to bring us together. And that's kind of been a, th- a theme all along, right? We we humans will fight each other over anything and everything. But if you can imagine an, an, an a wholly other um, uh, a menace coming from without, then the, the view is that we would unite. And so, right, you had... Um, the United Nations back then, which was seen as, well, this is just going to just bring peace to earth, right? Where even the director, Scott Derrickson, uh, talked about how by 2008, they, they couldn't do that anymore. They couldn't appeal to the United Nations like that anymore because it, now it's seen as such a, a failure and more like a malevolent thing, if anything. <laughs> um, and also, so in the 1951 movie, also what's interesting actually is they make a point that there, there's no way that Klaatu could address the nations of the world because everyone's still infighting. So <laughs> he had to end up appealing to a group of scientists, and they do come from all kinds of different backgrounds and religions or lack thereof and nationalities. So that, that was kind of an interesting point to make. And, I mean, they if I remember correctly, isn't in the film, don't they land in D.C.? They so do the, in the original right, right. fifty-one. They um, that's an interesting part of it too, because then you get the whole <laughs> the whole alchemical wedding symbolism, right? Mm-hmm. Of the Washington Monument as as the phallus and the Oval Office as the womb, and you, you got that whole thing going on. Do you, do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. On a mystical level, it's this uh, force that's coming along. And bringing this together to enlighten us, quote unquote, right? It's really. I mean, isn't that like the message, like the subtle, right? The subtext of this whole thing is Americanism, globalism, post-war kind of triumph, and this is how we're going to reshape the world through this film. Do you think that's plausible? Like their intent of the writing and the production of the film. I mean, that is a trope, really, in alien movies. Um, even up until this, the very recent Arrival movie, which is exactly about that. It's about this menace bringing about a global government, or at least um, the hope for a global government. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then how does, I mean, like, like what happens next in the film? So they show up. Klaatu has a message. He goes through the group of this, and then what happens? I mean, one of the key features is that he gets shot, like, instantly. (laughs) It's like, welcome to America. (laughs) You know, here we uh, spell out our welcomes in hot lead, basically. So that's one of the shocking things is finally we have alien disclosure. They're right here talking to us all, and boom, (laughs) he gets blown away. Uh, so, so that's kind of uh, something that makes a point, right? Uh, the point at the end of a bullet is you're, you're sticking your nose in earth business and you got the business end of it. And so how is he going to uh, come back from that? Um, and so, like I said, in the original version, he dies and then comes back at least temporarily, whereas... And the uh, first movie version, he ends up in a hospital. And then we can jump over to what Chris wanted to discuss. Because if you notice, 
Uh, he decides he wants to leave the hospital. Of course, they, they're not about to let him do that, but he escapes. And what he does is he grabs some clothing, and the name on the on the uh, laundry, uh, laundering tag is Carpenter. Right? So that tells us something. So now, Chris, why don't you uh, tell us what that something is? <laughs> <laughs> well, I believe the writer was trying to uh, make a connection to Jesus Christ. Not sure if it's, it's a genuine connection, meaning uh, benevolent or not. Uh, usually I see these court type of characters as Antichrist, but, uh, you know, with him dying and resurrecting, uh, you got the name Carpenter, and a f- there's a few other things that went on in there. Uh, so we spiritually draw from this character because, we, you know, <clears throat> many people have heard the Bible story story and even if they're not saved they're 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 they have they see the morality in what happened uh a person comes to save the planet from their sins uh this group of people can't stand it that that he's gaining in popularity and other reasons and they kill him and so uh, with the kind of like anti-guns anti-nuclear narrative it's the perfect uh, person to pick from, would you say? Yes, and in fact, it, it's not just, I can, I'm going to elaborate on that theme, but mm-hmm. it's not just that you and I are Christians, so where we see that there. It's, it mm-hmm. was very purposeful, so let me read you a quote here. Yeah. In a 1995 interview, producer Julian Blaustein explained that Joseph Breen, the film censor, installed by the Motion Picture Association of America at the uh, 20th Century Fox studio balked at the portrayal of Klaatu's resurrection in Limitless Power. At the behest of the MPAA, a line was inserted into the script when Helen asked Klaatu whether Gort has unlimited power over life and death. Klaatu explains that Gort has only revived him temporarily and, quote, that power is reserved to the almighty spirit, close quote. Mm. One of the elements he added to Klaatu's character, screenwriter Edmund North said, quote, it was my private little joke. I never discussed this angle with Blomstein or Wise because I didn't want it expressed. I originally hoped that the Christ comparison would be subliminal. Mm. Okay, because uh, what happens is that Gort, okay, actually, Klaatu gets shot a second time. <laughs> and this time he dies. That's it, yeah. he's dead. And so Klaatu, uh, Gort brings him into the spacecraft, into the saucer, and basically takes him into the holy of holies of the saucer. In the center, there's uh, this high-tech equipment, and he resurrects him. And so let me see if um, um, I'm... I'm looking around for quotations about that too, because um, that is stated very bluntly as well as kind of an inside that you and I, again, could, could guess. Let me add this, if I can, Ken, if I can, while you're looking for that, it would be that there's another thing you wrote about in your book about the whole kind of allegory to Christ, which is we have come to visit in peace and goodwill, referencing Luke 2.14. So I think that there's other... There's other lines and things in there that kind of enhance the idea of Klaatu as a Christ 
Messiah yeah. figure. And, and what you'll see uh, is a lot of movies replicate this same um, allegory. Um, E.T., um, uh, Optimus Prime from Transformers, uh, Tony Stark, uh, Spider-Man, and the list goes on. Go ahead. Well, and that's where we get this crossover from transhumanism to, I don't know, transalienism. It's, it's all about the same thing. And I say it any time I talk about it, it ultimately or inevitably actually combines high-tech evolution and occultism. It's just, there's no getting away from it. They're always tied at the hip. So essentially, the way... Um, um, there's actually a key distinction between the 1951 movie and the 2008 movie. So for one, in the original movie, it, as well as in the original story from 1940, Klaatu shows up looking human. That's it. He's exactly like us in looks, in appearance. That is how he is ontologically. Uh, he didn't transform into something humanoid. He looks that way. Just like we do, okay. In the 2008 version of the movie, we don't really know what Klaatu is because when this this fear appears in the high mountains of the Himalayas, uh, incidentally, so sort of like a very mystical context. Yeah. And there's an explorer there who who chips away with his ice pick at the sphere and opens it, and then we don't. Something just kind of happens, and he wakes up the next day. He notices a, a hole in his glove, and he takes it off. And <laughs> guess what? He has a mark on his right hand. <laughs> um, the uh, the implication is that they took a, a skin sample, but you know it could have been from anywhere all over his body. It just so happens to be on his right hand. He received the mark. Just, yeah. you know, you guys know what's up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what they did is take genetic material from a human. So then years and years later, when the sphere shows up and lands, then this humanoid looking being comes out of it, gets shot, <laughs> mm-hmm. ends up in the hospital. And when they're examining it, I'll say it for now. Uh, they're saying, well, this is a, some, just some weird, uh, it's not human, it's just some sort of gelatinous covering, but then they're realizing it's coming apart and it's melting and they're digging into it and beneath it is a human body. And then it grows exponentially very quickly and turns into a man. So we don't know exactly what Klaatu is, but his alien race was able to take this human genetic material and manipulate it and engineer it so that they could come here and they could very quickly look like one of us so as to interact with us in a more comfortable manner. So that is definitely a, a key difference. Yeah. Interesting. That um, Tibetan mountain thing is very interesting because, you know, Shangri-La um, is kind of like that heavenly place there is, and people have traveled and lost their lives trying to get to this mountain area, mountainous area, uh, which they think they can, they'll get to a portal where they'll see whatever that sort of heaven is. Uh, so it's, it's very interesting. Uh, you see, yeah, you see that in, go ahead. No, that's a very theosophical kind of ideas that those mountainous regions to that are, 
where those portals are, the ascended masters. Yeah, that's a real theosophical principle. Mm-hmm. And uh, what oh, is it? War is... Rich as well also had that idea. <laughs> this was um, I I I um, what did I say originally? Himalayan. I think I so. Yeah, uh, you said Himalayan. Isn't where that took place? Karakoram or whatever? Exactly. It was Karakoram Mountains in India. Mm. So it's the the Himalayans. Yeah, and if you remember, I ended up uh, pinpointing that the Freemason Rudyard Kipling wrote about these mountains in one of his novels, a novel named Kim, or titled Kim. If you ever, like, follow uh, Nicholas Rorich, who was like, the guru who influenced, I think it was uh, Roosevelt's Department of Agriculture guy to put the triangle with the, the pyramid at the back of the dollar bill, Rorich. I think he he actually did a painting of Kanchenjunga. So he was also a person who was curious about that mountain range as kind of a spiritual symbol. Wow. And then Kanchenjunga was something that Crowley tried to Ascend on his first ascent, I think, 1901. Mm. So just a little bit of history. Interesting. Uh, that that theme of uh, of this the, the, this Christ figure is also in the Man of Steel movie, Su- Su- Superman. And it's played out in the DC universe where he uh, dies at the hand of uh, Doomsday. And get and gets resurrected later on by uh, the Justice League. That's right, and um, that was in one of the movies where the symbolism is even deepened by the fact that it's a form of baptism as well. Like they're holding him in the water when he resurrects. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I think Zach just watched this uh, 1951 movie recently, right? Today, maybe. Yeah, today is actually the first time I've seen it. Wow. Any observations? Uh, I'm kind of annoyed the Carpenter thing totally went over my head. I mean, I definitely thought that he was, you know, they were uh, presenting the alien dude as a Christ figure, but I I can't believe that I thought that, but then missed Carpenter. (laughs) Yeah, it was just... Kind of your typical thing. You see that all the time, and especially reading Ken's work, we or where he just you know points out so much of it. Uh, it's kind of just like one in a long stream of like things just like that. It's sad, kind of. But isn't the isn't the robot doesn't it remind you of Iron Man? Like they took that idea right away from him. Is that true? Um. I can't remember when Iron Man was invented, but um, I'm not sure if it, it's if it's a dupe because back in that era, that that was kind of one of the uh, one of the themes in, in a lot of these books, uh, like the Iron Giant. You know, um, you'll see it a lot in in sci-fi movies. A lot of these artificial intelligent robots. Um, it does look like the Iron Man costume. Well, a little bit, uh, not necessarily direct, but good. It fits it enough. The robot is like a golem figure. You guys agree with that? It's so interesting you say that because in my uh, book, The Golden Golem Goal, I kind of went into that correlation between golem as artificially intelligent 
to then just a, a modern day version of the golem, which would be a robot. And in fact, in 1919 is the first time, as far as we know, that a story was written where a golem is actually made of uh, metal and has gears. So it's basically is a robot, 1919. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, 1927, we all know of Metropolis with the famous robot. So that, that stuff was around uh, relatively early in uh, in sci-fi. Don't forget Greek mythology. Greek mythology, you have uh, a lot of uh, automata and uh, mechanical devices going way back mm-hmm. to whatever level of, uh, you know, some were just kind of gadgets, but mythology contains them doing a lot more than just kind of spinning around the, <laughs> the room yeah. or whatever menial yeah. things they did. Mm-hmm. The owl um, from Clash of the Titans. Yeah, right. right. Oh, and if uh, oh. Zach, if you like the carpenter thing, um, when it's first being announced that the flying saucer has landed, they're showing images from all around the world, people listening in on the news, and there's a, an image of Italians listening in on the radio. And I noticed that a building behind them says El Deville, E-L. D-E-V-I-L-L-E, which I just read as a devil, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was kind of obvious yeah. to me, you know, uh, this devilish thing, whatever it is. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's like so, the lady from 101 Dal- Dalmatians. She shared the same name. That's right. I forgot yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, this film also is kind of like it's it's very influential, and even some of the terms of or the words used have disseminated through other science fiction films. Don't you reference that in the book? Yes, I, I noted how when I um, watched the original Tron movie, I happen to I happen to notice because I have a trained eye by now. <laughs> <laughs> that and there's just a, a scene of an office kind of really quick, but I noticed on the wall of the cubicle it says Gort Klatu Barata Nikto. And and that term also came up in uh Star Wars and it came up in um Ash, uh, what is it? Army of Darkness. Army of Darkness, yeah. So it's kind of become a very famous uh trope Klatu Barata Nikto. I think it was in, wasn't it in that movie, the, the precursor to Army of Darkness, the Sam Raimi film? What was the one where they go to the, you know, cabin in the woods? Evil Dead. Evil Dead, yeah. I, I thought maybe that you referenced that. Maybe not. Consequently, I'm literally 20 minutes away or maybe 15 minutes away from that cabin. Was there oh, yeah. That's yeah. like a, one of the real classic. Original horror films was that Sam Raimi. I think he ended up directing a Spider Man film, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Spider Man so, one, two, and three. Yeah, it oh, is an army of Army of Darkness and Star Wars: Return of the Jedi. I'm gonna look it up. Incidentally, Tron, the original movie, we should discuss that sometime. I reviewed it in uh, Transhuman Hollywood, and that is a straight up gospel story right there, just mm. straight up. I hadn't watched it in decades and decades. And uh, when I finally did a couple years ago, I was just stunned. Like, I can't believe what I'm seeing. This is a straight up gospel story. <laughs> it's so blatant when you're, when you're noticing it. Yeah. 
Oh, well, a lot of Hollywood take uh, uh, clues from the Bible and make some great movies out of them. Because uh, that would give it the ring of truth, of course. Mm-hmm. So basically, in the famous scene we were discussing, the Almighty Spirit would obviously be God the Father. Uh, Gort would be playing the part of the Holy Spirit, and Clotho would be the Son because he's the one that's resurrected. So it's interesting that you have that uh, being actually admitted as a sort of thing that was snuck into the movie. And it, it kind of mm-hmm. gives you an example of the, why we're talking about stuff like this, because sometimes there's things in movies that are easy to miss, but they're actually there. <laughs> as much right. as sometimes I, I just, sometimes in the book I'll say, look, I, this is just my speculation, who knows? But it's nice to get confirmation. <laughs> sometimes that yeah this is actually right there in front of your face and i can yeah that's the annoying thing because i know you've uh dealt with it a lot a lot of people get really annoyed when you bring up these things and they think that you're like looking you know seeing all this stuff in movies that's not there but (laughs) nine times out of ten all the uh, directors and writers always talk about it like in the 2008 movie uh, when the sphere is traveling towards his destination to land it goes over right over um, St. Patrick C- Cathedral. So it's a night scene, and above the cathedral is the light-bearing orb. I mean, hey, it's right there. I mean, <laughs> that, there was no need for that scene, but it's there, right? Yeah. And there's also, uh, you know, William brought up Theosophy earlier, and uh, there's a lot of alien themes in Theosophy and the New Age, which, was, which, was, which came from Theosophy, and about uh, these crafts that are going to come. They even have uh, illusions to the rapture of the church. They don't say the church, but they say people are going to disappear. Alien crafts are going to come and take people up above the earth, or they can't take the the evolutionary shift. So, you know, even though uh, back then in the 50s, most of the alien movies were... Uh, about the threat of communism, we still see the spiritual aspect back then as well. It, it's clear. And also in the 2008 movie, when the spheres, because there's spheres all over the planet, it just mm-hmm. so happens that the alien comes out of one of them. When the spheres are leaving, they show a scene of the Giza pyramids and the sphere is flying over it which mm. reminded me of the uh, Kenneth Anger movie, uh, Lucifer Rising, which shows mm. the same thing. He's got mm. uh, UFOs or, or um, flying saucers over uh, the Egyptian plateau, all over mm-hmm. the, those monuments. Yeah. But um, right. to, to just get to the one of the bottom lines, <clears throat> in my mind, and incidentally, the 2008 movie was directed by a, a Christian. So it... I don't know how he was actually thinking about it. So I can just say this is my reading of it, okay? Yeah. So I already mentioned the difference between the movies is in the original movie, Klaatu is human in appearance, whereas the newer version of the movie, he's not. He's some sort of just, uh, I don't know, uh, like a mind without a brain, Right some sort of entity that takes on human form. But the, the bottom line is, in the original movie, Kalatu's purpose for coming to Earth was to deliver a message, which is straighten up or that's it. 
you're, you're goners. We're, you're going to be destroyed. Mm. Okay? So I'm here to, to deliver this message of repentance, essentially. And if you don't repent, then I'm going to return. Maybe not Klaatu himself, but he was going to send uh, Gort and the other robots to destroy the earth. Okay, so that's like a, a, a first and second coming type of gospel message, is repent, straighten up, uh, or else judgment. Okay, now the second movie is very, very, very different, because Klaatu comes to earth, he delivers that message, but then he ends up going, yeah, you know what? You humans are all right after all, so never mind, essentially. And so the message is 100% different. It is, um, okay, you humans now, you kind of got this alien menace thing. You're going to be all right. You'll figure it out type of thing, right? Then never mind. We'll leave you alone. So it's an extremely humanistic pseudo gospel that Mm -hmm. you'll straighten it out. You don't need us uh, aliens getting involved with you. that's it. You humans are okay. Uh, yeah, you still have all these problems, but you'll figure it out. And then incidentally, one of the things that really got to me in that movie, they kept talking about, we can evolve. We're going to evolve. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, we'll evolve. It's like, that wouldn't be evolution. <laughs> that would be <laughs> purposeful, right? That would be mindful. That would be with a desired end in mind. So anyhow, but to me, that was the key difference. So Essentially, the 2008 movie could be read more like an Antichrist story, actually, Mm -hmm. because you do have all those elements of the Christ, but the message is completely different. It's uh, you're fine the way you are. You've fallen humans. You just that's it. You'll figure it out on your own and, and you'll pull yourselves up by your own bootstraps. Right. That was pretty much it. Yeah. Interesting. In fact, and, and uh, let's see. And isn't that uh, Keanu Reeves? Sorry, I was no, just going to read that uh, Keanu Reeves, who played the part of Klaatu in 2008, he stated, "Quote: I get to be born again. You know, you're born again. You're dying. You're resurrecting. It's all part of the fun. You know. I actually didn't notice that until I saw the film. But yeah, I'm dying. I'm I'm coming back." So you know, he- <laughs> right? But you can interpret that both ways. You can interpret that. Christian way or also in the occult where they lay you down in a tomb and you're resurrected right back into the, the group, whatever, which one it is. So, so this is where I'm saying it gets difficult for us or for me to say, I mean, it's easy for me to say, this is how I'm reading it. And I can give you all my observations to back up my conclusion, but I can't say for sure what the, who the the script writer, the actors, the director, the funder of the movie, all these people involved in it. I don't know what they thought. I don't know what they mm. meant by it. But it's interesting that even an actor who was there making the entire movie ends up sitting down to watch it and goes, "Hey, I just noticed something." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you can also look at the, the context of those films made in such a different era, right? The post-war era and then the kind of new linear era where there's almost none of that kind of, uh, you know, Christian kind of biblical outlook, which is probably why the 2008 version, like you said, has this kind of, hey, everything's okay, you'll be all right, you'll just have to change yourself instead of, 
you know, you better change or else, right? And I mean, it is remarkable that this story in one form or another has traveled from the 1940 all the way to 2008. And it's, it is fascinating how long it has stood out as a story. Uh, again, um, there's very different elements originally, but still that we would have such an interest in what would the appearance of an alien, okay, one of those tricky words that could mean so many things, um, what would the effect be of it coming to Earth? And yeah, what about the 1940s and 50s, where even though not every uh, United States citizen was a Christian, at least there was a common understanding that there's a Christian ethic mm-hmm. uh, to then traveling on to, into the future where it's like, hey, now we're seeing the result of our culture losing that eth- ethic. We're seeing it around us every single day to the point that it's just, just like, uh, I think you hit the, the nail on the head, William, where that the, the message would be radically transformed, mm-hmm. even though uh, the people involved in it, uh, from the Christian director to uh, Keanu Reeves, who could later recognize that in the movie, um, still would portray a uh, very different different message. That's why I ended up saying uh, the, the story changed a lot in its uh, premise, um, in its ultimate point between the two, two movies. Now, now I didn't, uh, I watched the movie one time when it first came out, but I remember there being a strong environmentalist green uh, theme in there. So you watched the 1951 movie when it first came out? No, no, the the, <laughs> the one with Keanu Reeves. <laughs> Not even William was around back then. Hey, I'm pretty old. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, there are definitely those concerns, and that's part of why the aliens are here because they could have just wiped us out. But besides mm-hmm. delivering the message of you better repent, essentially, yeah, that is part of their. In fact, the 2008 movie contains a whole narrative and a discussion about how unique the Earth is, right? And how it, it is able to sustain life. And that is why they are collecting samples. Like I said, it's like a neo version of a Noah's Ark, what the aliens yeah. are doing. It's like, okay, if, 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 you, if you humans are going to destroy the planet or we're going to do it for you, either way, we want to preserve all these uh, life forms. In fact, guess what, Chris? You're going to love this. That's the theme in um, Childhood's End also, right? They collect all the, yeah, there you go. I knew you were. <laughs> and also um, knowing. You've seen that movie? Yes. Okay. The same thing, these the, the chosen ones, and they got to collect all these kids. And, uh, it's the same, and knowing it's just, Nick Cage, yeah, the alpacas, alpacas. <laughs> That's actually yeah. from color from out from space, but still, <laughs> that's just one year after the redux of uh, the day the earth, earth stood still. So that was 2009, knowing, ah. and and right. so, sorry not to cut you off, but uh, oh, the, the, the theme of uh childhood's end if you do a search you'll see uh many books with the same theme and and comic books like the x-men going off of that uh original theme as well 
See, I consulted with William, if you remember William, a couple of weeks ago, because I was writing my review of Childhood's End, which will be in this series of books, by the way. And I was talking about how, you know, Childhood's End, the novel is based on Arthur C. Clarke's short story, The Guardian Angel. Right. Okay. It's so in that's 1950. Why I ended up, right. Yeah. I ended up talking to William about how um, in, in occult magic, there's the concept of the uh, knowledge and conversation of the Holy Garden Angel, right? Right. And so uh, that's why I asked you, can you send me the quote from Crowley where he admits who his quote unquote holy and quote unquote guardian and quote unquote angel <laughs> is? And it's not holy, it's not a guardian, and it's not an angel, right? Yeah. Um, it's yeah. Well, Lucifer well. himself, right? Yeah. So that what does that tell you? That the story is basically about um, alien that comes to Earth, uh, radically changes our children, and takes them. <laughs> Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> it's actually the childhood's end is very sinister. If you really yeah. kind of take it apart, very sinister. Childhood's yeah. end, man. It, there's, it's basically got it all. It's got it mm-hmm. all. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it's got this extremely disturbing um, aspect that I just mentioned, which is aliens wanting to be involved with our children and taking off with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, to places unknown, away from their parents' supervision and sight. Mm. Yeah. And um, the whole concept, of course, the, the big reveal that it uh, the aliens in that version look exactly like, not biblically accurate, but creepy medieval uh, versions of what the devil and demons look like. You know, mm. so that, that was just so fascinating. Mm-hmm. Incredibly dis- disturbing. And Arthur C. Clarke, too, was totally networked, was friends with all kinds of occultists. So he definitely had the Illuminist uh, understanding of, of the world, I think. Uh, I don't know if you guys seen, oh, I can't remember the name. Jeez, I'll try to find it. But there's a Steven Spielberg TV show with these aliens, of course, fighting the humans, and then they have a person that come on their side. You know the trope. The dark uh, skies? Fallen skies. Fallen skies. The same themes are in there, too. Chosen mm-hmm. ones, uh, good alien, good cop, bad cop aliens, uh, mixing alien DNA with ours. Also, the whole everything is in there. And I know I'm, I, I mentioned this anytime we talk about aliens and movies, but in the revamped version of the TV show V, which was really short-lived, uh, by the end of it, the aliens were constructing a machine that would extract the human soul yeah. from our bodies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and how they trick them. Uh, life-saving technologies. We'll cure it's always, cancer. Yeah, it's always... Uh, <laughs> It's always that. So in yeah. Childhood's End, too, is uh, we're basically going to make you fat and happy. We're going to have you keep busy what used to be called bread and circus. Meanwhile, we're going to uh, turn your kids into psychics uh, who have all kinds of paranormal abilities. And then we're going to just take them off the planet and blow it up. You're all dead. Yeah. Wow. 
Thanks. <laughs> all the programming like makes me wonder if we're actually going to see something like freaking uh, eight, like, you know, fake staged alien invasion soon. I, I know I, that's the thing, like, everyone's always talked about. I just wonder if it'll actually happen. Maybe they're faking uh, it right now. Maybe a lot of that stuff you see in the common culture is totally faked. Oh, yeah, I think uh, it is. I'm, I'm talking like a big event. Like where I, oh, right. Well, I that's, there was a Project Blue Beam or whatever it is. I, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's coming. Uh, I can't tell you when, but I think it's coming. And uh, maybe not now, maybe after the rapture. I don't know. But um, there's three forms of these things. You have demonic activity. You have governmental uh, spacecrafts. And you have hologram technology that does exist. Uh, you just have to do the right research to figure it out. On the subject of uh, theme, like science fiction, read this book, 2012 by Whitley. You know, Scott? look at the, I mean, even the numerology. This guy's like oh, Whitley eleven on December twenty first, twenty twelve. This. You're breaking up, William. Sorry. Uh, is more connected to all this kind of illuminated themes than you might realize. Yeah. Uh, he's got a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah, I don't drift him at all. If, you're, if, you're, if you recall, William, I started the book, and I'm going to do this with every book. It's not just about the movies, but I'll provide some background. So in this case... It started with a chapter titled 2020, the first year of the rest of our lives, where I just kind of chronicled throughout 2020 the numerous uh, news reports from mainstream sources. I didn't even bother with the French stuff. The mainstream media telling us time and time and time again about alien life. We're hoping to find an alien life. Maybe we found the alien life. Let's look here. Let's look. Let's look everywhere. Yeah. And then um, so. That, that's one of the features that I want to put into these books is some kind of um, background information on technology and just what people are claiming about alleged real life alien and UFO stuff along with the, the uh, actual movies. Yeah. Yeah, because it, it, these uh, new age ascended masters, so-called whatever, uh, we just call them demons, uh, keep telling the, these new age writers since uh, a long time ago, but but more popular in the uh, 70s and 80s about these crafts that are going to show up. So why do they keep repeating this theme in these books? Because I think they have a plan to do something like that, to fool the world. It's not far-fetched when they keep repeating it. And uh, yeah, another and thing... That, sorry. They're acclimating it. There's engineering yeah. people, right? Socially engineering, acclimating them to that. Yeah. All I was going to say is that I appreciate your qualifying terms because I'm definitely not predicting that will happen, but could I see that happening? I could see it happening tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and also another running theme which is in this movie is the disarmament of uh, you know, nuclear weapons or whatever weapons. Uh, this is, uh, I'm not sure how much you've read about Admiral Byrd if you believe it or not, but his stories the same. Uh, disarm uh, the weapons and bring us into an age of utopia, um, get rid of the Christians, uh, <laughs> and uh, form a one-world government, and on and on and on. These are constant themes, even in Star Trek. Yeah, talk about UFOs, communications, 
all that stuff. This is it. Contact in the desert. Mm. You can just kind of go down the list. Suspect, suspect. Crazy. There's uh, old Strieber. There's Strieber. Strieber. Uh, Get this Maria Wheatley. I think I talked to you about her, Chris. This is Dennis Wheatley's mm. daughter. Mm. So Dennis Wheatley was friends with Crowley, wrote Crowley-inspired books. He's friends with Fleming. Influenced Fleming, actually, a lot. But she won't talk uh, yeah. to me. I wish a lot of these people would take, you know, actual stands. Like if I might I may be wrong, but I'm pretty sure George Norrie is a Christian. And it's like, why does he surround himself with this obviously demonic new age right. crowd? Stephen Greer, man, watch his stuff. Holy smokes. Yes, I'm telling oh, you, Stephen Greer, man. Yeah. His last documentary, if you've never seen it. It, it blew the lid off a lot of things, man. Yeah, uh, if you remember the yeah. last time we were together, we talked about him uh, as uh, being the new L. Ron Hubbard, essentially. Oof. I don't know stuff, what happened man. to Enda, but he used to be, I think maybe he was 2021. Oh, this is the 2020 speakers, so the new ones this year aren't announced. But Lavenda oh. used to be in this group, in this crew. Now, what's interesting about Strieber is he's kind of constantly attempt, uh, revising or revamping what is actually happening to him, and he's guessed everything. One of his first um, conclusions was that it was demonic activity. I mean, he used the term demon himself. That's what mm-hmm. he said. Yeah. Um, then he also tied it to MK Ultra. He claims to have been a victim of the CIA's mind control experimentations, Um and then, ever since his wife passed away, like his latest book, he claims that they co-wrote it posthumously, okay? <laughs> he claims right, she helped him that. write it after she died, all right? Now, I tell you, oh, I've heard a ghost writing, but this is ridiculous, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but the thing is, <laughs> what Strieber is saying nowadays is that he suspects that the whole issue of interacting with what he calls visitors or greys is actually about interacting with the dead. That's his latest thing. So it's basically a form of a high-tech necromancy. It's mm-hmm. just that's all it is by any other name. Yeah, he he was in I think he was either yeah, he was either associated with or in the process church final judgment. So back in the 60s in London. I know he was mixing with that crowd, but I don't know if that's been confirmed. I know I touched upon that lightly yeah. in my book, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey Aliens, because I have a whole mm-hmm. chapter on Strieber in there. Wow. So, so the the you said there was a comic book. Yes, nineteen seventy three. Oh, and and um, the the stories are pretty similar until it gets a little um, liberal in the two thousand eight version. So the the comic book is essentially loyal to the 1940 story, mm-hmm. just with this or that change. Uh, for instance, they have um, since okay. In the I'll be back in book, just a sec. Yes, in the comic book version, when Klaatu is killed or murdered, then Gort just stands still, and he just stands there for months. He doesn't move. So they build a whole structure around him that's part of the Smithsonian, and they turn it into a display. Mm. So that's kind of a a unique thing about it is because then somebody ends up 
figuring out that, wait a minute, he's been moving. He doesn't do it during the day when people are here, but at night he does it because what he's doing is going into the sphere and conducting these experiments, trying to bring these animals to life via, again, the audio and video recordings, what we would call deriving algorithms from them and trying to build these forms of life. Uh, then the movie in 1951, it really did change it a lot. Like I said, the craft is completely different. The craft is a saucer and it lands, where in the original story it's a sphere and it literally just appears. Right. And then, uh, again, there's the uh, the shift in power, essentially, with the robot being the servant rather than the master and all of that mm-hmm. stuff. That's the important then, thing right there. Sorry. that Right there. there there's something important in that. Because what we what we're seeing, whether it's in science fiction uh, novels, comic books, or whatnot, uh, and this is bleeding over into the real world, is the dehumanization of humanity and the humanization of robots and deification of artificial artificial intelligence and, and robots. As I wrap it up pretty soon, do you guys want to? Uh, just kind of bring it full circle back to Let the Let me book. just read uh, one quotation that's directly tied to what Chris just said. Uh, this is from Isaac Isimov. And I know I've read it before, but it's so on key that um, I, I read it anytime I can get a chance. He says, I wonder if we'll make robots so much like men and men, men so much like robots that eventually will lose the distinction altogether and have a combined culture. Mm-hmm. This may be best after all. Maybe humanity itself will die out as humanity and sort of melt into this machine culture. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, uh, William, I uh, do have a wife who has some brisket and matzo balls waiting for okay. me. So. Sounds good. <laughs> I wish I could say something. I wish I could say something as nice as that was waiting for me. I'm ready to throw a pizza in the oven. (laughs) Yeah, well, it'll take me 12 hours of driving at least. I'll keep it warm for you. (laughs) Sounds good. Maybe in the future. Guys, great to talk with you. Thanks a lot for joining us. Again, the title of. Yeah, pleasure. Let's get back to the title. Ken and me, Hollywood Aliens and UFOs, first show in the days, plural. The Days the Earth Stood Still, published February 2021. Thanks so much, guys. Have a great day. Out off the press. God bless. Take care. God bless you. God bless.